need someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short chew. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. We're very glad that you have joined us today, and I am your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in my new and improved booze closet in Tokyo. And with me, beaming in from Fukuoka, Japan, is my co host, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and we can both agree garlic is not a great shochu ingredient. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for more than a decade and are very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, as always, Christopher. Summer has arrived here in Japan.、Yeah. I have to tell you, the, the heat, the humidity, it's just it's pretty brutal. I heard cicada for the first time、uh, earlier this week. So I had my air conditioner on full blast here in this room for, in preparation for recording. So I wasn't just dripping in sweat by the time we were finished. So hopefully the cool air lasts until, until the end. My little setup, I have a couple of really thick camping mattresses. Stacked and into a triangle. So I create my own little sound booth, and it is a sauna in here already. So,、uh, to all of our listeners, please forgive us if we seem like we're rushing this time. It's because we're dripping and we want to turn the air conditioning back on. <laughs>、um, anyway, so today we're going to dive into perhaps the most confusing shochu category that we've covered this far because it encompasses such a wide variety of ingredients. And yet, at the same time, it represents a really, really tiny fraction of the shochu market, at least here in Japan. And that has been and probably will be until somebody comes up with a better name, what we have referred to as aromatic shochu. But before we dive in, if you have been enjoying the show, then please tell like minded drinks fans about us. And as always, ratings and reviews are very much appreciated. And we're really looking to. Pull in other people who are interested in handcrafted, intentionally molded, no pun intended, drinks <laughs> from Japan. So、uh, tell your friends. Yeah. And I think we've seen slow and steady growth. So word is getting out. And for me, an unintended benefit of, of starting this podcast is we're getting recommendations for brands we've never tried. Right.、Uh, for example, a friend of the pod, John Go, recommended Kanomori Jin, which he's Is just raves about. And I'd, I'd seen it on shelves, but never given it a second look. And apparently that's his favorite. So definitely want to check that out. And actually, new listener Tavis Allen commented on the website about Makugan rum made in Miyakujima, Okinawa,、right. which、hmm. both of us bought a bottle of. But、yeah. I haven't opened mine. Have you? No, me neither. Yeah, we're going to have to do that, I think.、Uh, so really love getting.、Uh, New recommendations from listeners, and there's just so much untapped potential in the Japanese spirits market. And you and I are just starting to scratch the surface, and it's a lot of fun. Absolutely true. And I think the untapped potential is exactly what we can call the aromatic basket, this huge category of shochu. Basically, if, you, if you're looking for the main differences between These shochu and, and gin and liqueurs and other flavored spirits. Basically, the aromatic ingredient, which is often used in the name or it's put first in the list of ingredients on the label, that will be added to the fermentation before single pot distillation. And that's pretty clutch. I mean, that is, we're not talking about a maceration or an infusion 
per se. We're talking about something that is a part of the fermentation in one way or another. Now, that reminds me, actually, we were speaking with Jacob Greer just the other day. He's the author of the book Cocktails on Tap. And he was telling us about a gin from South Africa that uses botanicals that were plucked from elephant poop. Right? <laughs> That's right. And, and the, the, the weirdest part is they are added to the distillate after distillation, which I simply do not understand. Yeah, the, the TTB was asleep at the wheel on that one. Holy crap. Again, no pun intended. But I mean, these, these are surviving <laughs> botanicals that are just in the dung. Yeah, I mean, I think that pun was intended because holy <laughs> crap is right. Um, but I got to be honest, I think I'd rather try that before I tried garlic shochu again. Oh, okay. <laughs> the garlic shochu was, it's an experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, made by a good friend of ours, so who will not be named, at least not today. But it's not in relation to the garlic shochu. Yeah, <laughs> we'll right. That secret for him. <laughs> Jeez. But anyways, let's have a quick look at, or a quick rundown of the shochu styles that we've covered thus far. We've, we've already got rice, barley, sweet potato, kokuto sugar, kastori, or sake li shochu. Those are all in the queue. So if you haven't listened to those episodes yet, then please go back and have a gander. The other major category we have not yet recorded an episode for is soba or buckwheat shochu. And that's a big one. So we're going to get to that very soon. Those six represent what Stephen and I basically consider to be the six major categories, and they represent easily over 99% of domestic production and consumption. Now, if you go by the regulatory standards, there's actually four main ingredients or four main groups, and those would be tubers, such as sweet potatoes and other potatoes, sake lees or kasu, kokuto sugar, and then grains. Those would be the four main groups. And then you've got all these other specially approved ingredients. There's a list of 49 of them that can also be used. And these are oddballs. These are curveballs. These are regional. They're very local, hyper-local in some cases. And some are more famous than others, and some are more popular than others. But again, they have to be added before distillation. And much in the way of hops and beer, they're often added for their aroma qualities and compounds. They're added for that extra layer that they give to the drink. So we're going to call them aromatic shochu for now. Stephen, can you give us a rundown of the, the list of the those specially approved ingredients? Sure. I'm going to give my best go at this, uh, but I don't even know what some of these things are. So we might need to talk through a few of them. Uh, really as quickly as possible, 49 other ingredients would be red bean, plum pip, ginkgo nut, egg corn, shiitake, red algae, carrot, sunflower, silver vine, peanut, amachazudu, enoki, kuzu flower, sesame seed, shiso, tsuru tsuru, green onion, butter burr shoot, matcha, green tea, aloe, otane carrot, bamboo leaf, kombu, daikon, horse chestnut, nori, safflower, matabashi nut, lotus root, angelica, pumpkin, chestnut, saffron, powdered skim milk, tomato, bell pepper, whey powder, lily bub, wakame, oolong tea, milk, green pea, cactus, onion, date, water chestnut, water hyacinth, and mugwort. Whew. It's oh. a hell of a list. I think you probably just burned like 115 calories there. <laughs> I may have. <laughs> nice work. Um, 
yeah, that's it's so funny how there's just some complete randos in there, like whey powder. Yeah, a what byproduct of, is what the byproduct is of cheese production. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Jeez, um, you know, there's there are some really interesting ones in there. For instance, the silver vine is one of my favorite favorite ones to talk about. I'm sure I've mentioned it on this show. It's called Matatavi in Japanese, and it's a wild mountainous vine that is very um, voraciously herbal in its attack. Uh, and a, there are a bunch of other fun ones on there, like water chestnuts and different types of kelp. And I don't know, what caught your attention there? Well, I mean, interesting for me is you have sort of these almost subclasses, right? You've got other root vegetables beyond the tubers. You've got uh, freshwater plants. You've got saltwater plants, like uh, seaweed, different kinds of seaweeds. You've got, um, then you have essentially flowering plants, and then you've got herbs or botanicals that we would often associate with gin. And they sort of fit into these different grand buckets, right? Yeah. And th But then you've just got weird things like bamboo and cactus, and they just don't sort of fit anywhere else. Um, yeah, it is weird. So, yeah, any historical commentary on all of this on, on this list or anything? Yeah, not really. I mean, it seems that these have largely risen up out of the shochu booms that have periodically happened throughout Japan since the 1970s, at least through the mid-aughts. And when shochu was really buzzing, everyone wanted to get into the shochu game. And local municipalities realized they had a possible cash cow. Maybe that's where the milk shochu comes from. Ah. Uh, <laughs> in making shochu out of whatever their local agricultural specialty was. So that all of these regions or areas uh, rushed to apply and a bunch of ingredients were approved. Uh, and now the government says the government has said no new ingredients. Right. This is it. Um, they closed that door. And of course, until they open it again, which always seems to happen. Right. Right. So it just takes a business interest. That's all. That's right. And I mean, it seems like it's a relatively recent phenomenon. We don't have hundreds of years of tradition of Enoki shochu, right? For example. True. And maybe some of these predate the 1970s, but a vast majority were really born out of that uh, national wave of interest in the category. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And there is, of course, more so than just one little town or hamlet and their, their regional crops. There is a more wide regionality to some of these, especially in terms of tea tea growing regions. There are some very famous tea growing regions in Kyushu. For instance, I'm thinking Yame and Fukuoka, Ureshino and Saga, and then our beloved Chiran in southern Kagoshima. And those are the ones that really stand out to me. And I guess another one that's pretty popular, probably on par with green tea shochu, is chestnut shochu, especially from Shikoku, right? Yeah. And that's an area you don't really think too much about um, shochu being made. But shikoku is, I guess, the most... I Maybe I'm wrong about this. It feels like the most remote of the four main islands in Japan. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's right across the water from Kobe and Osaka, but you hear much more about Hokkaido than you do about Shikoku. True. There really are so many of these ingredients that are grown throughout Japan. And it seems like every town you go to, if you travel around... Uh, you'll be told, oh, our town's famous for shiitake, 
or our town is famous for daikon or kombu okay. or shiso. Yeah, right, right, right. And but everyone can't be famous for these things, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, so I think a lot of it's marketing, but that doesn't mean they aren't good. And one style that I really associate with Hokkaido in my mind is uh, is the kombu or the seaweed shochu. So those seem to be uh, quite common up in Hokkaido, and I don't see them much in Kyushu. So I think that's another example of mm. uh, regionality. Yeah, very true. So let's talk for a second about non-approved ingredients. And we'll get into brand names in a moment, but a couple of notable omissions, I think, from this list are ginger and lemongrass, which we both know make very interesting, very aromatic, and in sometimes wonderful single pot distilled shochu, even if it can't legally be labeled as honkaku. And remember that honkaku means authentic. That's the, what you're allowed to put on the label if you have used approved ingredients and approved methods to make the shochu. That's right. And, you know, thankfully, garlic isn't on the list. And I think we'll put garlic to bed after that <laughs> last dig at that, uh, that style. But a um, couple of other omissions I could point out would be gobo or burdock root. Sure. I'm actually sipping on a gobo tea right now, and it's just lovely. Huh. It's a really, really nice drink. It's it's also from Hokkaido. And gobo root is, uh, it's burdock root in in English, and it's a really, really ubiquitous ingredient in Japanese cooking. It is. And I imagine that you could extract some starch from it, so it could add a little bit of alcohol content, but it's got a really nice um, earthy flavor. It's, it really adds depth of flavor to any dish that it's included in. So I imagine it would make a really interesting shochu, although I don't think I've ever seen one. No, me neither. And then the other that I thought of is, you know, there's a couple of famous mushroom styles or types here in Japan are iringi mushrooms, which I think are the king trumpet mushrooms, and then matsutake mushrooms. Now I know matsutake are really expensive. Yeah, so I kind of understand why you're not you're not distilling this. That would be baller. That would be a three hundred dollar bottle, I think, easily. There could be other mushrooms, I guess, that you could use, but I'd never seen them. But but basically, I th think for all of these, nobody really thought to apply for approval at the time, and now they're not allowed. Right, and I I don't think we really need a new top level basket of like the mushroom category right alongside um, tubers and and the other main four. But I'm sure that a very lovely mushroom shochu could be made from enoki. And I'm sure that a really interesting one could be made from matsutake too, if anybody could afford it. But let's move into brands. What are your favorites in terms of the aromatic category? Uh, yeah, it's there's several. But I think we really need to start with the one that I believe is most popular overseas. At least I hear people talking about most often, and that's beniotome, sure. sesame shochu. Mm -hmm. And it's made with roasted sesame seeds right here in Fukuoka. I believe they're still the only maker who makes a sesame shochu, and they are so secretive about how they make it. Yeah. I mean, I got the private tour after being introduced by a liquor store owner, and they still would not show me the third fermentation. <laughs> I saw the same first and second fermentation, which is your koji fermentation uh, with rice and then your second fermentation, which I, at Beniotome, I, do they use rice or barley in the second? They use barley in the second fermentation. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. It gives a different character, right? And and then they add sesame seeds, roasted sesame seeds to the third fermentation, but they won't show you how they do it. Um, mm. But it really is, it's got the flavor of uh, that black sesame ice cream that you can get in uh, Japanese restaurants in the US. It's really, really almost decadent. It's like a dessert shochu. It, really it's nice. so good. And when I was doing my Airbnb tastings in Tokyo, back when that was possible, I used to do the whiff test with 
with guests from all over the world. And that was one where they'd be, they'd smell it and they'd say, Oh, that's really good. And I know what that is. What is that? And then let them think about it for a second. And, and then I would say it's an oil we sometimes cook with. And then immediately they would be like sesame oil. Yep. And they're yep. like, Oh, I really want to try that. And the Benny Otome distillery, which is not that old, at least that iteration is, is not old at all. It's as old as I am. It, has released a trilogy of the 101, 102, 103, which use different ratios of the ingredients are, and are really fun to sip through side by side. I, I, I'm impressed with what they do, and they basically have a corner on the entire sesame market. Mm-hmm, they do. And what comes to the States is only 25% alcohol, but they do higher proof expressions here in Japan that are really, really deep and rich and delicious. Yeah, that's a really that was a good call. I'm going to take a moment to talk about Mizu the the Mizu brands because we're both huge fans of their green tea and their lemongrass expressions. Those are also in the States. They're 35% ABV. They are absolutely lovely. We've written adoring reviews of them over on Kampai.us. And if you can get your hands on a bottle of those, another added value is that after you kick the bottle, you've got a great vessel for a water bottle in the fridge, or maybe it's a it's a vase for a flower. It's a beautiful silhouette. And yeah, you and I obviously are big fans of what they're doing. Definitely. And those those come in at 35%, which I think is they were really intended for the for the US market or or for the overseas market when they were developed. Mm-hmm. And, and their green tea actually you mentioned Odeshino earlier. They use Odeshino green tea, right, which is right. not very far from from the distillery. And actually the lemongrass comes from a mountaintop right near the distillery. And I believe it's the only organic lemongrass farm in Kyushu. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So really, you know, they're really careful in thinking about where they're getting their aromatics from, Mm -hmm. which I, I, I really appreciate about, about those guys. Yeah. Another one that I think came to the U S relatively recently is Rihei ginger shochu. And that's been brought in at 38%. The Japanese domestic expression from OGI is actually only 20 or 25% uh, out out of Miyazaki, but uh, Rihei, has been imported at, at full strength at Genshu 38%. So there really appears to be a move toward these aromatic shochus becoming cocktail bases yeah. or at least mixed mixed base cocktail ingredients. And so I think there's potential there for, you know, you're, when you're bringing in ginger, you're bringing in green tea or lemongrass into a cocktail without actually adding the the ingredient itself. That's a pretty cool thing. There's There was also a good chestnut showed you that was available in the US, at least you said it was available for a really short time. I'm not sure it's there anymore, called Dabada Hibudi. And that's a chestnut shochu that they, at least the way that I understand most chestnut shochu is it's it's basically a rice and or barley fermentation with the chestnuts added to the secondary. And mm-hmm. the that one's also really popular domestically. And I remember a time not too long ago when there was, when it was completely sold out and it was in huge demand. Um, Dabada Hiburi Chestnut Shochu. It's a, it's a fascinating one. Yeah, I, I do see it occasionally uh, when I'm back in the States. Of course, I haven't been back since the pandemic started, but it was creeping into places in the US. So maybe it's still out there. I'm not really sure. Shifting to the Japanese domestic market, and hopefully some of these brands will start heading overseas before too long. Uh, You had mentioned Chiron as a tea growing region, and they're actually now, I believe, the largest tea growing region in Japan by dollars. 
but not by volume because they can charge more for their tea, which is interesting. I think they've surpassed, is it Shizuoka? Yeah, they did just like last year, I think, or was it two? I'm not sure when the latest data came out, 2019 or 2020, but yeah. yeah. So they'd been number two for a while, but they've, as far as the dollar value of their, of their tea crop, it's actually gone above Shizuoka at this point. And the most interesting shochu brand using Chiran tea is actually called Chiran tea chu or tea alcohol, if we're going to do a literal translation. And tea chu is actually a sweet potato shochu with green tea added during the second fermentation. So you've got both a sweet potato shochu and green tea, and it is just really, really interesting. Yeah, Chrissy-like. Yeah. Chrissy-like a lot. Yeah, you and I are both fans of that one for sure. And then another one that was a favorite of mine when it was available in the States, and unfortunately it's disappeared in the U.S., is Akanone, which was a carrot shochu. Yeah. And I wouldn't have thought that I'd enjoy a carrot shochu, but it was really a nice balanced drink. And I would often gravitate toward that when I didn't want, you know, a sweet potato flavor bomb or an awamori with lots of funk. And I actually tried to look that one up and I don't think they're even making it anymore, which is probably oh, really? why it exited the U.S. market. Ah, uh, that may be. But there are other carrot shochus available in Japan. True. Uh, I guess I'll have to try through some of those and see if there are any that I have a liking for. How about you, Christopher? Any uh, other favorites for you? Well, I have enjoyed a bunch of a bunch of things that are, some of them are available in Europe and the United States. Um, I'm not so sure about this one, though. There's an aloe shochu that was really interesting. Oh, wow. Um, I, I would, I'm not sure I would drink it every day, but it was, it was definitely an eye-opener. And aloe is a, an approved ingredient for whatever reason. And aloe is made <laughs> where in Japan? I think, I know it's made a little bit in Okinawa. But most aloe is imported. So that was a fascinating right. inclusion for me. Probably grown right next to the cactus. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, and, and whoever claims that they're, they're making juniper in Japan is probably right next door to that. Although juniper wouldn't be made so far south, I think. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. How about the strangest you've tried? What are the, what are the really the weirdos for you? Yeah, I have to go back to Silvervine or the Matatabi just because... It's, it's just funky. It's vinous. It's also really interesting. It's not off-putting in any way. And it screams mm -hmm. for bubbles. It could go well with tonic or soda. Maybe there's, a, maybe, there, maybe there's a catnip sonic in store that would be really good. I haven't tried it that Ooh. way before, but I should. Maybe I'll do that this evening. Oh, I like evening. the sound of that. Yeah. And Silvervine is, is interesting because it's a relative of catnip. And I know I've said this mm -hmm. before, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but it's essentially catnip on steroids and it's way more potent. Mm -hmm. And they use it to make a shochu that is actually kind of okay. Steven, I sent you a sample and we tried it on our weekly show Tuesday live and it was, you weren't, you didn't find it objectionable, did you? Not at all. I finished, of the three samples you sent me, I finished that one first. Oh, no kidding. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a no, vote of I, I, I right enjoyed there. it. And I, and I did it with bubbles, actually. That's what I, that's how I finished it. And it was, it was a really nice sipper. I didn't have any, well, I had tonic, but I didn't think of making a sonic with it, but that, that could be pretty I'll cool. I'll try that tonight, I think. Cool. Yeah. Let me know how it goes. Mm. Um, for me, I think I'm, I'm a fan of umami. Once I understood what umami is, I really, really appreciated the fact that so much shochu has umami. Right. But the, the, the shochu styles that really almost send that umami through the roof are 
the uh, the mushroom and the seaweed expressions. Yeah, they. I mean, MSG was discovered in kombu, right? The the natural ingredient that became ajinomoto. What is the brand of MSG here in Japan, sure. which is manufactured, right? But that was found in kombu, in seaweed, in kelp, and mushrooms and seaweed just have so much umami that when you drink those, even when they're vacuum distilled, you just get this really nice umami character. But it's weird to think that you're drinking seaweed or you're drinking mushrooms, right? It's still just a little bit of a, an odd thing to wrap your head around. It is. Uh, at least as a spirit, right? We might drink mushroom soup or seaweed soup, but anyway. Yeah. So are you sipping, are you drinking something right now? I am. I'm, I like this shochu and I think a lot of people offer it. I know I've seen it many, many times play out in shochu bars across Japan of a local Japanese person trying to get a foreigner to drink this. Hmm. And it's almost like a game because it's milk shochu. Right, 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 right. And you think about distilling milk and you just, you think of curdling and sourness and like everything going wrong. Hmm. But this is, uh, what is it? Makibo no yume. Mm -hmm. And it is a milk shochu made in Kumamoto. And it's 100% rice, koji, and then rice as the second secondary fermentation main ingredient. But then milk is added to the fermentation. So wild. And it is, it's such a well-crafted rice shochu. And what the milk ends up giving you is a little bit of um, almost the acidity and the, the lactic quality of yogurt. Mm -hmm. And so it ends up being this really nice yogurty rice shochu. Yeah, it makes sense. I enjoy it. And it's, uh, I drink it. I actually, I have a bottle at home. It's, it's, and I didn't go out and buy it because I knew we were doing an aromatic episode. And I was like, oh, I got to have something weird to drink. It's actually something I enjoy drinking. Mm. And this, I always do with bubbles. Gotcha. It just, it's, you know, it's just bright and refreshing and perfect in this summer heat. So I bet. Yeah. I'm a fan of the milk show too. And it's got an adorable little cow on the label. So <laughs> how can you go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Right. Put a, put a cute animal on, on anything and you're good to go. I mean, Kumamon, the that bear from Kumamoto is everywhere now. Not even, I, I saw him in Kagoshima when I was there last. I'm, what are you doing here? He's everywhere. He's on shelves and gift shops, shelves and everything. He's becoming the new Hello Kitty, I think. He is. And he is adorable. I, I love the guy. Um, so what do you think is the potential for this catching on overseas? Do you see aromatic shochu as becoming a thing? I mean, Beniotome did quite well. And it seems Mizu's lemongrass and green tea as well. What do you think? I think that a lot of people are going to respond favorably to the aromas that are present in some of these drinks, the really well-crafted ones. So I do see a future in this. I see people developing a really strong interest in things that can be uh, easily added to a cocktail and, and will still be there, but won't dominate and won't overpower and will be easy, will play nicely with other ingredients. I honestly see a lot of potential. How about you? Yeah, I do too. I think you're right. I think as a cocktail base. And then I really think for drinkers who are looking for something new, if you found a spirit made from your favorite agricultural product, you'd probably want to try it, right? And then if you like it, you know, probably there's a new fan. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I do think that's, that's possible. Ho hopefully it will. I think there's a lot of potential for this, you know, really niche part of the shochu category to, to find outsized influence overseas. One thing that we didn't say at the beginning, but I think is important to make everyone aware of is that most, if not 
it's not all of them, but almost all of these aromatic shochus are absolutely vacuum distilled. There's very little atmospheric distillation going on in this part of the shochu world. And that's because there is a really intense interest in preserve in preserving the fruitier and fl more floral components of the aroma profile rather than really blasting them out and just taking them to 110%, which you get with atmospheric distillation. And when I say atmospheric, I, I mean that there's no pressure in the pot, the in the chamber during distillation and vacuum, of course, is reducing the pressure. So you get a much lower boil, lower temperature boil. Now, we actually, and this is a little bit of a surprise, I, I guess this is a, this is the first time we've done this, but we're actually working on a, an aromatic shochu, which we think is going to be a huge hit in the US market. That's, we're made in conjunction with a, a shochu distillery in Fukuoka, and we're pretty excited to give you more details about that soon. So stay tuned. Yeah, that's uh, that's been a fun project, and you know, if you had asked me three years ago, would, would I be helping develop shochu brands for export? I would have said no. <laughs> yeah, me too. But here we are. You know, here we are strange times, but no, it's fun. Uh, and I do, I agree with you. That's it's it's going to be a, a lovely drink, and hopefully, uh, we can tell you more about it soon. Um, I, and that really is a great call about the aromatic shochu being vacuum distilled predominantly, and it is to capture those really. Uh, elegant aromas and character that would disappear in atmospheric distillation where you get all of the grain and all of the the stronger flavors. And I guess the other thing to to just take a step back is everything we've talked about today is single pot distilled. Whether it's made from an improved ingredient or not, it is made with koji and it it is single pot distilled shochu. So it's the good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. These aren't uh, mass market industrial spirits. These are made again by small uh, family-run distilleries who just happen to be using these alternative botanicals. There's a very, very popular uh, shochu here in Japan called Tantakatan, right. which is technically a shiso shochu, but it's an industrial spirit, right? It's not using the full koji process. It's made in uh, a very different style. I guess it qualifies as konwa or is it korui? I think it's actually korui okay and they use they use dates in there too uh, the last time i looked at the mash bill mm -hmm. it's a gigantic corporation and and respect it's it's enjoyable and it's quite popular and you can find it it's ubiquitous in japan and actually is is exported to the states too and probably also to europe yeah hugely popular and and extremely affordable here in japan sure. and, and people like it a lot but when i drink it what's interesting is i get a lot of the same almost seaweed qualities that I get from the seaweed shochu. That's interesting. I don't know what it is about how their shiso is is manipulated, but I rather than getting that bright, fresh shiso aroma, I get like seaweed funk. Uh, yeah. But that's just me. Um, try it. If you enjoy it, drink it. Yeah. Right. Uh, no judgment at all because drink what you like. True. 110%. Well, Thank you, everybody, for listening. We would like to remind you that we also have our weekly Japan Distilled Show Tuesday, which live streams on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. That's every Tuesday night, currently at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that works out to 10 a.m. in Japan on Wednesday morning. You can find me 
at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. Stephen, where can everyone find you? You can find me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. Hit us up with your thoughts on aromatic shochu. What do you think? Have you tried any? What do you like? Um, really curious to hear what you think. And uh, also, I think it's worth picking up Christopher's book, The Shochu Handbook, to learn more about these interesting styles. I do touch on them in my book, but I think Christopher's is probably a better reference in this case. Uh, Stephen's book is The Complete Guide to <laughs> Japanese Drinks, so grab that as well. Yes, please. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. This has been Christopher Pellegrini and Stephen Lyman reporting to you from Japan and to all of you out there around the world, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. Time.